I'm Jeff Gibson. And I am Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we express our joy and love of film by kicking off first with the Week in Review, which movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode of the podcast. Move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or a main review, and finish up with film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, the main review, the main event will be James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Then, tangently related, film phase will be counting down our favorite sequels. We are avoiding certain franchises with this list. There's a lot to talk about with mm -hmm. that list. We will get there later. First, we have a couple uh, quick things to talk about. For the weekend review, Shannon, you haven't seen anything really on your own since the last episode. I mean, I'm chipping away at Batman the Animated Series on HBO, mm. and that's been a lot of fun. And I think I just finished season one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do Is you that... want me to wait to talk about it? It's up to you if you want to talk about it. I love this show. It's an amazing show. It's dark. It looks at villains as they used to be human, you know, and it was just a really bad day, and they they hold back on the show, but sometimes they don't. Hmm. And I think my favorite episode is probably the Almost Got Him episode, mm -hmm. where Poison Ivy, Joker, Two-Face, Penguin, and Croc come together at I guess a poker game or something some sort of, some sort of card game and they're there at this bar and they're chatting about how Batman is uh, caught the Mad Hatter last week mm. and they talk about how he's a nuisance and how they almost had an opportunity to catch him for a change and that's a very interesting episode. And it's not just about that. There's something that happens at the end. There's a reason they're all coming together, obviously. Mm. And it was just really, it's a fascinating episode. But each one tells their own story, yeah. is what you're saying. Each one has, has something that they're saying. And Two-Face's story becomes referenced later in, with an object. Mm. that Alfred is cleaning. So it's just super interesting how this show really takes its time to develop and makes sure that it has all these little points in the roadmap of it, if you will, that tie it all together. Now, this is not the first time you've ever watched Batman the Animated Series from 1992, is it? So I was exposed to the show probably when I was about 12 or 13, mm -hmm. and it was on Cartoon Network, but it was always out of order. Mm -hmm. And so if there was a two-parter, which I love two-parters, it's so thrilling for me, <laughs> sometimes it would show part one, but we would never see part two, and sometimes it would show part two, but we never knew what part one was. And so it would be very infuriating. So now on yeah. HBO, I get to watch it in order. And we do own the box set, but it isn't, that isn't even in order. That, sh that box set starts out, I can't remember what the first episode is, but 
the first episode of the show is actually with Catwoman and is a two-parter. Mm. And that is not the case for the box set. Yes, actually, I'm surprised that when I did research on this after we discovered this after the fact, because it got kind of confusing and started all of a sudden episodes would have certain characters that were introduced previously and yeah. I wouldn't be trying to introduce them. When I did research on this, I never saw anyone actually comment on or criticize that this is true for the DVD sets, mm. the old DVD sets, as well as the Blu-ray box set that the episode order is not in air date order but for some reason hbo max has all the episodes in air date order so it's kind of uh, disappointing because that blu-ray box set's really nice and it's got a bunch of awesome features that uh, you don't really get to take advantage of because you've been so frustrated you shifted to hbo max to watch the series yeah because you know all my life i never got to watch the entire show and i never got to watch it in order and that was infuriating and now i finally get to mm -hmm. uh but not through the box set <laughs> so yeah. maybe i can go to the box set once i'm done because mm. it's very important to me that it unfolds how it's supposed to right. and when you watch it in that way you appreciate it so much we had watched on the box set an episode where one of the villains is going to arkham and we see a bunch of villains in the different cells that we haven't been introduced to yet Via the box set. Yeah, via the box set. And then that episode's supposed to happen, obviously, way later. Mm. You know, so very interesting. But I have to say, I love this version of every character in mm. this show. There isn't a version of a character that I don't like in this show. My favorite is Alfred. He's constantly making mm. little jabs and jokes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a side character, he's my favorite. And obviously, Batman is my favorite but my favorite villain is definitely joker in this one voiced by mark hamill of course iconic okay so you're watching batman animated series you finished the first season which that's the f that's like the longest season of the series right I think it was 68 episodes and now i'm finally on season two okay and are you going to stop with Batman the Animated Series, like fin once you finish Batman the Animated Series, are you going to stop? So our son reminded me of something today. I will finish the Batman series. Yeah. And then I'm actually going to watch Freakazoid in order. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that in order either, and I love that. I thought that was a gem of a show. Okay. And then what I'll do is I'll come back and do... Uh, you had suggested Justice League and then Batman Beyond. So the, as I recall, the Bruce Tim order of shows was Batman the Animated Series, which eventually turned the Bat into the Batman and Robin Adventures. You'll watch um, both of those as you're doing. And then Superman came along. And then sometime during the Superman years, I think Batman Beyond came along. But essentially, that was set in the future, distant future. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, Superman evolved into Justice League, which turned into Justice League Unlimited. And then Static Shock was the last Bruce Tim Paul Dini uh. era. And we watched, we've seen some of Static Shock. And I don't know if you're likely to put yourself through that again, because we were not a fan of Static Shock. I was when I was younger. I Like, uh -huh. when I was younger, I really loved it. And it's interesting. I didn't know it was part of the Timverse. Because mm -hmm. that, that's what's disappointing. Mm -hmm. Because Batman 
is polished from episode one. Yeah. But I guess Static Shock is something that hasn't been well established as Batman. Batman's lucky. Batman's one of those heroes that's been established over and over again. But this Batman, Batman anime, this Timverse Batman is very, got a very particular style and yeah. execution. Yeah. So I'm a little disappointed now. <laughs> well, Static Shock is just, I mean, it just doesn't compare in quality yeah. in terms of the animation and everything. So, but everything before that huh. is pretty great. And Static Shock didn't last very long. I think it maybe had one or two seasons tops. You but, can totally tell that that was going off to the kids, Static Shock. Mm. I think that was a mistake. Hmm. So that is Batman the Animated Series. And that completes your week in review. Yeah. So tell me what you got up to this week. It's not like we a, never saw each other. Not a lot. Just, again, finished the Olympics. That ended a few days prior to day of recording. And, you know, watching some things with the sun. But you and I... Watched a couple of things, one, uh, one of which we forgot to talk about in the last episode we recorded. We'll get to that in a second. But the other thing was we mentioned in our last episode, we started to watch or whatever, and we completed watching. It was VH1's 100 Greatest Women of Rock and Roll. Now, back in 1999, and I know this is the case for sure, because of certain things that are referenced during the program that definitely happened that year. VH1, oh, I think in 98, maybe they had like pulled a bunch of people in the music industry, musicians, producers, whatever, and created 100 greatest artists of rock and roll. It's a great list. It was awesome. And then a sequel list. They did the same thing. For women only in the industry, uh, the same seniors, producers, whatever, and and uh, created 100 greatest women of rock and roll. I couldn't find on YouTube any copies of the original list of the 100 greatest artists of all time. No one, as far as I could tell, has transposed that on to YouTube. I have it on VHS. But we do not have a VCR, and I'm not able to convert it yet onto disc. But I did find someone broke up in tw uh, 20-person segments, the 100 Greatest Women of Rock and Roll, and we watched that. Now, some of that was fascinating. It was without commercial interruption. It would... You know, the program was clearly, like, going to commercial, and then it would cut to when it came back from commercial, you know? And it was really cool to see. There was one segment early on. I think it was, like, the second segment, second set, where, like, the audio, like, there was a glitch, and the audio and video was off for, like, half the list or something. And that was frustrating and disappointing. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, because I don't want to see, I think it was the Jerry Hallowell. Hallowell, yes. Yes, it was. A segment, I don't want to see Jerry's mouth moving and then it's some awesome singer in the background. Right, yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, that was frustrating. But otherwise, it, it was, it, you know, pretty decent presentation. And very glad to be able to see it. What were your thoughts on this program and the list in general? 
It's a great idea. I miss having lists like this. I remembered recently that E Hollywood Entertainment, that channel, uh, mm-hmm. when it first came to South Africa, they were doing lists all the time of like top 20 actors of this decade or that decade. And, and that was usually fun to see the countdown and get exposed to different things. And it's a curated list, which is the best. And I don't have to read, I just get to watch. So reading is difficult for me. So this was really cool to be exposed to this. And I liked uh, some of the hosts. I like that they changed up the host every, what was it, like 20 yeah. people? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really nice. Plus, it, it was, was it not easier for you for these people to make an impression on you, each artist that was mentioned, make an impression on you than if you had just read a list? Definitely, because this is music. And also to see their music videos mm-hmm. was really fun because it was either oh, that's not for me, or, oh, I see where you're coming from. So there was a lot of compassion, understanding, and excitement about who was chosen and why. Mm -hmm. And I especially loved trying to guess who was number one, and I ended up getting it right, which was super freaking cool. Number (laughs) one out of 100, and I got it right? Yeah. Because I was like, they haven't mentioned this person yet, and then that person got mentioned. I'm like, they still haven't mentioned so-and-so. They still haven't mentioned so-and-so. And And then I was right. So it was very exciting. Were there anybody that you remember particularly standing out that you're like, oh, I really want to check out that person? It was the German that has the very unique voice that died. Nico? Yeah, she has a really interesting way about her and some it's it's kind of one of those sometimes it makes me uncomfortable but sometimes comfortable like it's in between Mm. and it teeter-totters for me ever so slightly so that's very interesting anybody else there probably are other people but i just can't think of them right now fair enough all right so that was vh1's 100 greatest women of rock and roll if you can find it on youtube we recommend checking it out it's it's quite fun and it was definitely a great way for myself for sure to get exposed to people i otherwise wouldn't have the last thing that we'll talk about before we move on to the next segment is space jam the new legacy welcome to the space jam here's your chance do your dance at the space jam all right yeah. Wave your hands in the air <sighs> if you're feeling fine. Okay. <laughs> all right. So. I had to. Yeah. All right. So a few episodes back, we talked about the original 1996 Space Jam and our feelings on that. Shanna is definitely a bigger fan. With some caveats, she was very much looking forward to Space Jam and New Legacy, one of your most anticipated movies of the year, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And we forgot in the last episode to talk about the fact that we squeezed in a viewing of it. Yeah, and your little con scream afterwards about it was great. My what? <laughs> like, Rise of Con when he's like... Wrath of Con? Yeah, that one. Rise. <laughs> What's well, a rise as well, right? Um, and so you were like, ah, I knew it. I forgot something. Yeah. So essentially this version involves lebron james who's considered the greatest basketball of uh, player of all of today he gets recruited to 
play basketball, this time in order to save his son. I don't think that was an element in the Michael Jordan version in 1996. No, there was no manipulation other than we want the Looney Tunes, now we want Michael Jordan. Yeah, it was the Looney Tunes who recruited Michael Jordan to help them, save them. This time it's the other way around. LeBron James, through some machinations, ends up having to recruit the Looney Tunes to help save his son. Okay, so, Shanna, I'm just going to throw it to you. What were your thoughts on Space Jam The New Legacy? Did it live up to your expectations? Was it uh, a new favorite, as good as the original? What are your thoughts on it? The best part of this film was Lola Bunny finally getting enough screen time to establish that she's not the sexualized thing um, and we're not going to treat her as this sexualized thing. Um, I loved all the scenes that had to, that involved her and this film, unfortunately, other than that, did not live up to expectations. Uh, the crowd that we see, the I Spy game that we think we're going to get to play. In terms of WB um, characters. Yeah. Clarify. Doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of repetition. There's not enough close-ups of different characters. There's not enough. Everything moves too fast. Mm-hmm. And everything is purposely out of focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, that matters. So it's very infuriating because it, it's a upsetting technique that wasn't executed well and it had the opportunity as well as a physical strain because you're trying to spot spot things with your eyes and it doesn't work out the idea of the villain being someone who is an algorithm for films to be made in the future is an interesting one but that's as far as it goes that's really all i have to say the music was a horrible horrible disappointment uh, when we watched Space Jam the other day, I every time one of the songs came on, like I was like jamming and happy and dancing. Mm-hmm. And I know we listened to that soundtrack over and over again as kids, but this had nothing musically memorable about it. So not a fan of the new legacy compared to the original. True. Hmm. Yeah, this movie's pretty bad. Um, at times, it was an endurance test. At times, I was I was just tolerating it and sitting through it because I knew it was something that you were going to enjoy. That was it was something for you, uh, and not that there wasn't any. There were little nuggets of things that I thought were clever or interesting or amusing. But just to backtrack, a couple things that you said just kind of flush it out. Yeah, the plot revolves around something called Al G Rhythm, played by Don Cheadle. And he is an algorithm. He claims to be the thing that created all of Warner Brothers' best library uh, catalog uh, movies, which is a, a really harsh self-diss on Warner Brothers, actually, to, to claim that their best movies were created by algorithm. Uh, <laughs> that's not a good thing. <laughs> And he wants to be put in the spotlight. He wants to be given credit for having created these movies and, and, you know, whatever. So, so he tries to come up with a scheme in a way that he can. 
And he feels that LeBron James is the perfect person to help him with that because apparently LeBron James has a great social media presence. And that's pretty much apparently all it takes. And and since LeBron James says no, he kidnaps LeBron James' son and manipulates his son against him to participate. That, so that's that, and that's 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 pretty bad. And I I love Don Cheadle. He's he's demonstrated he's a great actor, but boy oh boy does he give a, a pretty rough performance in this movie. When the trailer came out for Space Jam: and New Legacy, which actually gave me kind of a glimmer of huh maybe this won't suck. You saw all these characters from that that Warner Brothers owns uh, making appearances. And a lot of people were like, oh, it's going to be just like Ready Player One uh, and stuff. And boy, were they wrong. And boy, Warner Brothers was probably sitting back going, tee hee hee, morons, because it's not like that at all. And I yet I feel like that would have been more interesting if they had involved some of Warner Brothers characters. Instead, oh boy! Instead, as you're saying, we get them as the crowd, the audience around the court, and our view of them is so limited. It's limited to uh, about a dozen, maybe, standing around in the background and you know interacting with each other or watching the game and it feels like they basically had people cosplay as some of these famous characters and they were limited to about 12 and i agree with you there's a there's a great opportunity to show off all these characters courtside they didn't even pan through all the characters once around the courtside and get and allow us moments to appreciate this who's who that has come to watch this game. Well, and there were so many ways they could have approached it. I mean, can you imagine a scene where like Tim versus Batman and Robin and Alfred have have a special part of the hill to watch from? And you get to see them throw popcorn and be excited at certain moments that are appropriate to those characters. Mm. Like, there's so much that could have happened here. And it could have been a beautiful moment. Mm. They have the license to all this shit and they do nothing with it. It's talent wasted. It's opportunity wasted. Yeah, it's definitely opportunity wasted. And often the movie goes for some of the most obvious of jokes. And it, it's pretty bad. And there is a subplot having to do with bugs, which I... I was then, okay with his subplot. Execution uh, of it, not so good. Yeah, the execution was very poor. And this has absolutely no relationship to the original movie and how the events in that film brought about the Space Jam, as you will. It it's this yet at the same time they reference it and yeah. none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. This movie is dumb. It's bad. It's it's so disappointing because at times there are little ideas that are interesting, and I want to give it credit sometimes, but then it just it gets it just isn't it just gets worse. So uh, how would would you rate Space Jam: A New Legacy out of ten? Probably a three. Ooh. Yeah, like Ooh. there's a problem with this movie and it's good ideas, good characters, 
good licensing, horribly bad execution. Yeah, I I think that I, I, I do not put the original Space Jam on a pedestal. I think when we talked about that, I gave it like a four or a five. And I would say that this movie is a solid four out of ten. At least this movie doesn't look like it was done by people who were high, you know? Oh, yeah, As yeah. As we said. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. So that's Space Jam and the new legacy, I believe, or a new legacy. It's a, it's a legacy of, of newness. And uh, that'll do it for our weekend review. It's time to move on to the main event, which is our review of The Suicide Squad. You know the deal. Successfully complete the mission, you get 10 years off your sentence. Times are hard. You fail to follow my orders in any way, and I detonate the explosive device in the base of your skull. So this is the famous Suicide Squad. Nom nom. Any questions? Hand. Yes, that is your hand. Very good. We're all gonna die. I hope so. Oh, for fuck's sake. Here's the deal. We fail the mission, you die. If we find out any information you give us is false, you die. If we find out you have personalized license plates, you die. What? No. If you cough without covering your mouth... Harley, although that isn't an open invitation for you to cough without covering your mouth. What's the plan? How the hell am I supposed to know? You're the leader. You're supposed to be decisive. And I've decided that you should eat a big bag of dicks. If this whole beach was completely covered in dicks, and somebody said I'd eat every dick until the beach was clean for liberty, I would say no problem. Why would someone put penises all over the beach? Who knows why madmen do what they do? This is suicide. Well, that's kind of our thing. When to get you out of here alive. I'm going to get you out of here alive. Oh my god, we've got a freaking kaiju up in this shit! Uh-huh. I love the rain. It's like angels are floating all over us. And that was from the trailer to The Suicide Squad, the latest movie from Warner Brothers based on DC Comics characters. The plot description on IMDb is that supervillains Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, and a collection of nutty cons at Bell Reeve Prison join the super-secret, super-shady Task Force X as they are dropped off at the remote enemy-infused island of Corto Maltese. This movie is directed by James Gunn, and it has quite the cast. That includes 
Margot Robbie, Idris Elba, John Cena, Joel Kinnaman, Michael Rooker, Viola Davis, Nathan Fillion, Jai Courtney, Pete Davidson, Sean Gunn, Steve G, Jennifer Holland, Sylvester Stallone, and more. So when we talk about a movie and we review it, we first look at the good. What was positive about the movie? What did we appreciate about it? What worked? Then move on to the bad. What were its flaws? What made a movie suck? Then we weigh whether or not the good outweighed the bad and give it a rating before moving on to spoilers and final thoughts. Now, Shanna, we saw uh, David Ayer's Suicide Squad way back in 2016, I believe. It predated this podcast. And we were not fans of it. I was, you know, this is the same issue as Space Jam A New Legacy. I was a fan of a particular character or two, and then that was it. And that was the case for me with that film. I was a fan of Harley, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Yes, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn was clearly the standout from that film. And one of the only good things about it, I thought it was, you know, if this was a movie made in the 90s, it would be a perfectly acceptable superhero film, mm-hmm. you know, given the, what we where the standard was set at that point. But we've come such a long way since the 90s that for it to be a 2016 movie, it was mediocre at best i think is fair to say and i know there's a lot of controversy about what happened with um david ayer and warner brothers and whether or not there's a better version and honestly i i think a david ayer is a hit and miss director uh and when he misses he really misses and i don't know i don't honestly see anything that he could have added in that movie that really would have made it a masterpiece. I mean, no matter what, I think that movie was going to be a dud and mediocre at best. So uh, that was that. Now we have, leaving that in the dust, this film by James Gunn. A little bit of background info. If you're not familiar, there a few years ago, uh, someone unearthed some tweet that James Gunn had created a long-ass time ago. That was inappropriate. It ended up having Marvel Studios firing James Gunn off of Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume 3. Warner Brothers called two days later, offered him a job, said, hey, any any characters you want, you you, want to work with, here's a couple that we're playing with, but you can choose whatever you want. He took a, a few days. He thought about it. He said, you know what? I actually want to do something with the Suicide Squad. I have an, a good idea for it. This movie is the result of that thought process. And in the interim, uh, Marvel Studios walked back and rehired him for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So we still get to look forward to that. Now, Shanna, knowing all of that, knowing your history with James Gunn movies in the past, the Guardians movies, uh, Slither, whatever else you've seen of his, and having uh, the background of the other DC movies, what are your general thoughts of the Suicide Squad and what is good about the movie? 
That was a really good intro, love. This is a really fun movie with glorious, sometimes bizarre violence and an exciting accumulation of weirdo characters that have been portrayed at a 10. It is so much fun. I think he has a really great way of bringing things together and executing things well. Maybe they needed him for Space Jam. I don't know. The execution (laughs) of ideas, characters, story arcs was really all so interesting. You know, minus Birds of Prey, there hasn't been something before that has this tie back to established characters. The whole let's do one character movie for all these guys we like isn't really necessary. I think Birds of Prey displays here a a bunch of characters story told by one model uh, works well. And so does this film, basically with two or three uh, chunks of time is how this film works. I have a very specific sequence in mind to talk about in spoilers that ties this whole thought together. Okay. But really what I'm a good example of what not to do is Zack Snyder. Patty Jenkins had established this wonderful no male gaze, no objectification of these fantastic strong female warriors. And then Zack Snyder came in after Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman and heightened up the skirt mm-hmm. and completely changed the Amazonians uniforms. Mm-hmm. So that you don't do that. And so in Birds of Prey, we see Harlequin in a very particular way. And when we see her in Suicide Squad, there's an honoring of that. That happens in the Suicide Squad happens later uh, in the film. Um, So I really enjoyed my time with this film. The characters were amazing. I had no idea what direction this film was going in. You and I were trying to avoid trailers because we didn't want to see more than we had to. And there was no way of actually telling what direction this movie was going to go in. It was all surprising and very exhilarating experience. Fantastic on the big screen. What I have done is I've watched it on the big screen and now I watched it on the iPad while cleaning today. And it was a great choice for me. But I really recommend that people go watch this in the theater and have that experience. The music wasn't overpowering. In fact, there's one moment where there's some rousing score and it happens at a very particular time that I'll talk about later. So I highly recommend everyone goes and watches this film. That's all the good. (laughs) There's a lot of good in this film and there's a lot of good in spoilers about this film and maybe only one or two things that irked me. So uh, why don't you tell us what you liked about it? Well, I will say, touch on a couple things you said. The marketing for this movie is just all over the place and definitely gives away certain things that I wish I didn't know watching the film. Certain things that I wish I had discovered while watching the film instead of it being advertised uh, to me. And we can talk more about what that is later. But, you know, this is a movie that pretty much ignores the previous film. You know, James Gunn, he said there's a couple elements that he wanted to bring into his movie and mostly that comes down to Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, Viola Davis's Amanda Waller, Joel Kinnaman's Rick Flagg, and one other character. That's as much as he wanted to take from that previous movie as possible. And 
I think that's a great thing. One thing about this movie that's great is it doesn't tether itself or tie itself down to any previous movie, which I really think is the direction that the DC movies need to focus on is keep being self-contained. Don't worry about trying to adhere to Zack Snyder's vision, which it sounds like Zack Snyder and Warner Brothers have kind of parted ways after the Snyder cut sort of thing. So I think that we are dodging that bullet. And I think um, thankfully Warner Brothers has stayed firm on saying no to him and just doing this idea of self-contained movies and not worrying about a big overarching thing. Uh, At least that's how it seems lately. And uh, fingers crossed for that. But uh, this movie is great. Uh, it's, it's, it, it delivers exactly what it should deliver. It executes on all levels perfectly well. It lives up to its name, the Suicide Squad. I mean, there's so many characters that you see in the character posters. And part of the fun is to be like, okay, which ones <laughs> are going to be in the end of the movie and which ones aren't going to make it past five, ten minutes in the film, you know? And you can you can place your bets and take guesses, you know? And you may be right on some of them. You may not be. You're right. There is an unpredictability factor to this film. It zigs and zags often. And uh, it, it, it adds that adds to the enjoyment of the film. I think that said of the cast, Ratcatcher 2, played by Daniela Melchior, forgive my pronunciation, this is the first time being exposed to her, fantastic, Keen Shark, voiced by Sylvester Stallone, Polka Dot Man, played by a character actor I have seen in many things, David uh, Dastmalchian, and The Peacemaker, played by John Cena, standouts of the movie. Fantastic. In various ways we can talk about later. Love seeing them, and they were they were a delight. The movie touches on themes of control, and it's up to, you know, it's up to you having a discussion of whether or not it actually has anything to say about these themes of control, but you have a team of people who are being being controlled by an authority figure. You have a major big bad who wants to control the human race, who itself was controlled and experimented on. And there's a couple different layers of control the sense of being controlled, uh, being forced to do things against your will or being held or against, against your, your will. Or against your belief. There's a very, you know, watching this a second time, I was able to pick up on how two char- three characters are shown with their, we don't cross this line or I do cross any line and they conflict with each other. Mm. And it's very interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, I'm not sure that the movie has much to say about that theme, but it is definitely a recurring theme that the, the film has throughout its different characters and plot uh, mechanics. So that's kind of interesting and cool. But yeah, this movie lives up to its names. This, is, this movie is what The Expendables should have been. In that, 
these characters are actually expendable. <laughs> you know, they are forced to go on a mission um, be, by an authority figure, right? A governmental authority figure. And they don't all survive, no matter what your feelings are on those characters. So I appreciate it for that. Was there anything else that you wanted to speak to that was good about the film? I think, you know, for as many characters as there were, nobody was the forgotten child. There were no forgotten characters. They were all fleshed out pretty well, uh, some more than others, and that's okay. But when they were being fleshed out, it was very intentional and very useful and helpful to the story. Yeah. Um, So I found that, I want to commend it on that. I mean, how many characters were there? Probably... There's like a dozen. Over... over 12, yeah. you know, maybe we're in the 18 zone here. Yeah. Right. So it was very complicated. And even the Suicide Squad controllees, the team that controls Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. In the control room. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had their own dynamics and their own little character fleshing out stuff, too. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it constantly was building, building, building all these characters in very meaningful and non-frivolous ways really purposeful yes and one last thing i want to say that's really cool is this movie just jumps right into it this this doesn't oh yeah there's no waiting right you just suddenly jumped into a mission essentially and it jumps right into the life and death of of the scenario and i definitely appreciated it for that Shall we get into the bad? Is there, any, uh, you know, what what didn't work about the movie? What sort of criticisms you might have uh, for it? I really tried hard to think about this, especially after watching it a second time. Now, the second time I watched it, I didn't get to finish it. I was about 20, 30 minutes away. Okay. But honestly, I don't see a lot of wrong with this film. In the very beginning, an animal gets killed, and I'm like, but did we have to? And I was like, well, this is the Suicide Squad, so you kind of have to... They're telling you what movie it is, but later it was kind of okay. So there was just a couple deaths that I wasn't okay with, and it was involved with animals. So, Okay. Is that a criticism, or is that like a personal taste thing? I think it's personal taste. I don't think we had... But I think we also didn't have to kill that, you mm. know? Hmm. Uh, try not to say anything more because you're getting into spoiler territory, I think, if I understand what you're talking about. Uh, my w- main criticism of the movie, I think, if I recall correctly, uh, is definitely a third act spoiler issue. So I can't get into it, but I, I will say there is some muddiness that happens with a certain character's motivations uh, near the end of the film and uh, I was a little surprised and disappointed by that like the, the the character worked perfectly fine and is to me a little muddied and or slightly undone by a single line of dialogue near the end but otherwise I I will say it Shannon unless you have more to add this is an almost perfect film it, yeah it's um you know, it's the Olympian diver scoring 10s across the board. So, uh, Is that what you score the film, a 10? Well, I, I would definitely score it a 9. I don't know, maybe the score will go up as the year goes by, but that's where <laughs> it is right now. I don't really have problems with this film. 
I actually, this is a rare one for me, but I will give this film a 9 out of 10 as well. It is definitely one of my favorite films of the year. It is very well executed. It's a breath of fresh air. It's something that we absolutely needed this year. And, you know, people really do not use an iPad for your first experience watching the movie. You can go see the film and, and support and throw money so Warner Brothers knows that, hey, you want theaters to stay open. This is the kind of thing you like to see in theaters. You want to reward creators like James Gunn, and you don't want the them to just go streaming. 100%. And, you know, this is one of those experiences where, you know, I said there's bizarre, glorious, violent scenes. Oh, you yeah. want to hear the rest of the audience react to that. It's a lot of fun. That's true. It, it is a ultra-violent movie. Ultra-violent. Very gory movie. Uh, too, at times. I, I was focusing on the community experience, though. <laughs> no, no, no. Absolutely. But I think that's something worth highlighting, too, because we didn't touch on it, uh, is, so mm. people know, is, you know, sometimes it's comedic effect, but this movie earns its R rating uh, with a shiny gold star. <laughs> yeah. You know, watching this a second time, uh, the cinematography is good throughout this film, but whenever it's a, a slow motion death annihilation scene, it's epic and it's brutal. So don't mm. bring the six-year-olds, 10-year-olds. Yeah. We're not even bringing the 14-year-old, you know? Yeah. It's not that movie. Right. Okay, so those are... Our initial thoughts, um, we obviously recommend going to see The Suicide Squad. Uh, I think from here on out, we're going to talk spoilers about the, the movie. If you've seen the movie, come along, join us. Here are our spoiler thoughts, a little more specific about the film. If you haven't seen the film, jump ahead in the show notes to the Film Faves segment, because here we go for spoilers for The Suicide Squad starting now. Okay, Shanna, you had a, a, an overall point you're trying to make as illustrated by a particular element or scene of the movie. Would you like to elucidate yeah. that point a little? Let's uh, remind everyone. So the point I was trying to make was an honoring of the characters and being good about that, not being an asshole and objectifying people. Like respecting the characters. Yeah. And what I was referring to was there's this scene with Harley. Harley gets captured. She goes through a whole lot of stuff in her own part of the movie. She definitely doesn't steal the movie. I forgot to mention that sooner. But she's just, she's perfect in her scenes. She's very well balanced in you the know? film. It doesn't, she does not, not steal the movie. Yeah. No. So I'm watching Harley escape this place with killing her way out and there's a lot of blood and awesome slamming with iron bars and just fantastic violence mm. but at a certain point she gets in the zone and i think she gets the the spear the javelin yeah from and javelin at that point as she's working like just before it's just before as she's working with that and she's in the zone of killing 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 flowers start sprouting animated flowers start sprouting mm. behind her and then she has like little tweeting birds flying around her or or being out of the way but they're there and all i could think of was like how that was so wonderfully 
honoring of her. In Birds of Prey, it's the scene where she sniffs the cocaine. And no, she doesn't get animated stuff around her, but she's in the zone and she's she's oh. zen when she's performing these kills. Cocaine gets... It's Poofed in the, away. It's, in, it's, it's an it's accident. The, yeah, it's in the police headquarters. Yeah. You're talking about that scene. Okay. That scene, yeah. And, and even as she enters, you know, she's got glorious glitter guns and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought that that was really great. And it also made me feel, you know, it brings out that that side of me where I'm like, who the fuck needs a Disney princess when you could have Harley fucking Quinn Zell? So I just, I really appreciated so much that scene, watching it a second time. So that kind of circles that. And then the other thing that I had mentioned was, I just, I didn't feel like we needed to kill the bird that was just trying to get a crumb of food. And then later... Oh, okay, clarify that. In the beginning of The Suicide Squad, that actor... Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker. Who plays is, Savant. It's, that's what's so brilliant about the movie is it starts on Savant and you think that he's <laughs> going to be the main character I thought of the we movie. were going to see just him and I was starting to get pissed. And then when he killed the bird with his ball, I was even more pissed. And then when he... Well, you didn't think it was just going to be him. You I knew did. There was a cast I, of characters. I knew there was a cast of characters, but I thought it was going to be his show. Okay. So yeah, I was pissed about that. And then later, why did that piss you off? I just didn't think that bird needed to die. No, no, no. Why would it piss you off that if the movie were oh. to focus on Savant? Because I wasn't there to see just his face. Okay. <laughs> like I can take Rooker, mm-hmm. but it has to be like in f- small doses. Okay. Very right. small doses. And he has to be acting silly for me to handle more than my recommended dose for okay. myself. All right. So I'm glad they went the direction with him. I'm glad that, the, you know, he ended up dying because he was. Uh, well, that's what's amazing about it is you think he's going to be some badass. And he's and then the like, wimpiest wimp. When there's when when things go down, he panics and and starts swimming away. Right. And, he deserts. And he just com- yeah, he deserts. He completely snaps, and he's not even listening to the voice in his head telling, yelling at him to stop. Yeah. And then his head gets blown off because right. he didn't listen. Right. And that same breed of bird comes and starts picking at him, and I was like, that's what you get. Yeah, that's pretty gross. And I was like, bye-bye, fucker. Right. And uh, later, Harley is brought to, I think, the new president of that oh. country. Yeah. Is it happening in Guatemala? No, Corto Maltese. Oh. So it's happening there. And she's on a date. And there's birds. and Because he has a pet bird. He, he has, has a, pet birds. He has and an then, aviary. You know, things happen. And eventually that aviary gets... Torched. Torched. And I was like, that was unnecessary. You could have just let the gates open. And you could have just let them flow away. Yeah. But it, it is also the sense of like... Like you said, there's also this theme of killing, torturing, hurting, controlling, wanting things done the way you want. Well, you know? I said the theme was contr- more about control and not needless torture. But, you know, that is, a, that is a scene that I forgot about. And I, I agree with you that maybe it wasn't necessary for them to be torched as opposed to set free. But I don't know. Yeah, it, it was like, ooh, that's unpleasant. Corto Maltese, I will say, it is so cool that the movie is set mostly in Corto Maltese because to me, I don't know if there's a significance in the comics whatsoever. 
I apologize if there is, but to me, I call back to 1989's Batman when Joker is looking through Vicky Vale's portfolio. What he loves most is the massacre, so to, be, so to speak, that she has photographed in Corto Maltese. And so um, it's, it's so cool to have that location called back and brought back in this film, you know, as, as a main location. You know, you get to see Corto Maltese, which I didn't know for the longest time whether or not that was a real country, you know, but obviously it's not. You know, growing up, I didn't know if it was a real country because of 1989's Batman. But it's so cool to me as a fan of that movie to have that location spotlighted in this movie. That is really cool. Did you believe for a moment when Bloodsport said there's no good in me left? No. I, I felt that was a very honorably fatherly thing to do, trying to protect his, his daughter. Can you clarify? Because I do feel like that's something that's stated outside the context of his daughter. Okay, yeah. So he says it twice, right? And maybe more. But twice that can be recalled right now. And once is to his daughter, and I feel like that's just a knee-jerk reaction to protect her from what he is. Mm. Uh, he's not an ideal father that we've created in our society. And I, I, I think that there's a purpose for that. And later he says it to Ratcatcher too, right? When, they're, when they are having a sort of desirable father-daughter moment on sort the bus of, yeah. you know and i think he meant it less when he said it to her hmm. because he believed it less when he said it to her okay because i'm not sure i believed it for a moment because part of it is because of the casting of idris elba there's an inherent likability about him and they didn't necessarily go really far in trying to make you feel any distaste for the character as a nasty uh, evil person well he didn't let the rat shake his hand and he doesn't want to be near the rat sebastian but that has more to do with fear that's a phobia <laughs> yeah i'm fine with it i think it's he did an honorable father thing trying to push away trying to get over his pushing mm. you know th there'll be a full circle there at some point all right so i'm fine with it and then I also loved Ratcatcher uh, too, how they portrayed her with her dad. And right, played by Taika Waititi. You, yeah, and if you do have a fear of rats, which I have a little bit, you kind of get over that a little bit with the portrayal of you know their story with the rats. Mm -hmm. So that was really nice. So we have to wind up, but before we do, I want to make my point of my one major criticism of the movie. Do it. Um, and in really rapid fire, a couple of quick things also. One, my biggest problem is Starro. Uh, first of all, would love to not have known that Starro was in the movie. That would have been an True. amazing reveal. So bad on you, marketing. Shame on you. Even though there's a really great line that, that comes from the reveal of Star, the official breakout reveal of Starro, which is we got a kaiju up in here, which is amazing. <laughs> but so Starro starts doing his thing, which is controlling people. Uh, throwing out little mini starros and that's how he gets bigger and that's how he gets his powers from the psychic energy of all these uh, minds that he starts controlling and taking over and once he's taken over them they're dead right they're corpses you can't save them 
I don't know if that's accurate in the comics. I'm sure Superman has had a Starro face at some point, and maybe they don't adhere to that so closely with Star with uh, Superman. Well, it in is the Superman. At any rate, he just wants. To, he keeps saying, "I'm going to control the city. The city's mine. I want to control the city. Oh, the city's mine." He's rampaging through the city, which is totally fine. I get it. All right, fine. You know, he's 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 an alien. This is what he does. I think it's actually fairly truthful to the comics as well. I'm not that familiar with Starro, but I think that's his deal. Otherwise, why would he have the mechanic of the mini stars? But then at the very end, when he's being defeated, there's a line that says, I was happy floating in space. Floating amongst the stars. Right. Okay. So that's a nice line. But you got to choose... Is this a, a creature that just wanted to float around in space and was taken away from the thing that he has? Or is he a creature that actually is like he wants to control and become more powerful because he is smaller when he's discovered? Yeah. And I, I really like, wish that line wasn't in there as good a line as it is, as lovely a sentiment as it is, because it, it muddies up that character and... You know, are, do we really need to have sympathy for Starro? I don't know that we do, you know, in the end of, of everything. Like, it's okay to have a villain that's even worse than the main villains of the story, right? I completely disagree with you. I know nothing about Starro in comic book culture, so maybe that's the perspective I'm bringing here. Starro seemed cute, and I wouldn't want to mess with it when we first see it. And then at the end, when he says, I was happy amongst the stars, it totally made sense to me he was dying. Uh, it made sense that he was thinking of a happy time. There was death happening for Flag. And his thing, his realization and comment was like, peacemaker, my ass. Essentially, he said it in a much more th- yeah, yeah, yeah. better anyway. way. Star, to me, as soon as they captured him, as soon as... NASA captured him, brought him down, put him on, on in that um, cell. They had been torturing him for years and years and years. It completely makes sense that he wanted to conquer them then, and it completely makes sense to me that they would that he felt otherwise before he was tortured for years and years because this person that was controlling Stara would bring more and more people for him to control and then he would tear the people apart while Starro is consciousness with them and I would be fucked up too I I agree I disagree with you but I, I hear where you're coming from you obviously have a different history of him well I don't have much history with him at all it has, nothing, has very little to do with the history oh. it has more to do with the focus also the guy that was controlling him he's the one that called him Starro I call him Starro the Conqueror and Right, that's, we haven't even that's all we me- get. We haven't even mentioned him yet, and which is somewhat criminal of us not to mention the great Peter Capaldi, who you know I, I he didn't looked know what- terrible. It yeah. was great. He plays it was the, beautiful. He plays the thinker. I didn't know what to expect from him in the movie going into it. It may very clearly place him as you know, not part of the squad and, and a villain that's helping with the whole Starro program. He, 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 he's great. He's hilarious. Very well uh, performed. Peter is not above this whatsoever. He's having fun just like everybody else. Well, and a good example of not letting 
silliness of a villain get to you? Yes. You know, very yes. good execution, as is with everyone else. Absolutely. Uh, rapid fire, a couple of things. Let's take a, let's take turns. Rapid fire, and you okay. go first. Okay. Loved fucking King Shark. I love him so fucking much. All his scenes are glorious. How he adapts to being human. He even starts learning Spanish. Like, he's just this amazing being. And I swear to God, if they kill him in the future, I'm going to be pissed. I was so glad they didn't kill him in -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Okay, your turn. Yes, agree 100%. Like (laughs) I said, he's a highlight. Absolutely love him. Peacemaker, very interesting character. John Cena, hilarious dude. But also thematically fascinating character represents so much the worst of our country love it cream pants not ideal totally unrealistic represented here where is he keeping these clean pairs of cream pants (laughs) (laughs) but yes i agree with you okay polka dot man does not want him to die i was really sad that he did happy that he was happy when he did die loved him conceptually his mm-hmm. execution was great seeing his mother everywhere as actual mother yep. was fantastic yep 100 you took it from me he was one of the um, <laughs> highlights i wanted the biggest surprises of the movie did not expect to love or care about polka dot man uh and he is extraordinary conceptually and and the way he is executed and everything about him is fantastic love him absolutely was there anything else? Amanda Waller. Dude, no one else can play Amanda Waller like Viola Davis. Come on. Yeah, she's not allowed to be recast. Right. <laughs> I agree with you completely. I love that her team is even keeping her in check when she does something like threatens the life of the daughter. They're, they're not keeping her in check. They're just like, wait, you wouldn't do that, would you? They're, they're just babies and they know nothing of that world. So it's fascinating. Yeah. For me, the death of Starro was fantastic that was so gross and satisfying and, and unique beautiful. and piercing and it was just ah it was so fantastic uh, i love that this movie james gunn had no darlings in the film aside from harley quinn i think that was the one ultimatum don't kill harley quinn probably that's the impression i get anyway but the fact no that nobody touched harley the fact that captain boomerang from the previous movie went out like that didn't expect that whatsoever <laughs> but really smart because it helps you it keeps you on, on your toes and helps you realize oh anything can happen yeah yeah i didn't say enough about idris alba i thought he was a fantastic character keep forgetting his name because i have a bra- bad brain week what his character yeah the blood sport. I, I love that character. I thought it was great. I want to know more about that character. I love that his moral compass is about even. And I love that throughout the movie, we got to see other characters, moral compass, like go back and forth. But also, if that wasn't a thing for the character, they were being humanized. So, aka running away from a war that you didn't want to be in. Really quickly, Nathan Fillion and Pete Davidson <laughs> saw them in the cast, knew, oh, there's no way in hell they're going to last. They're T- too sweet. <laughs> TDK, ridiculous character. And I don't even know what Pete Davidson's character does. Don't even get a chance because his face gets blown off, like, right away. And, and He was like, sells them out. Uh, yes. But, I mean, what his what his ability is. Oh. I don't know what his, you Being know. An idiot. I don't know what his thing is. But yeah, Pete Davidson, I was like, I called it. I knew it. But yeah, so, and then I was really kind of surprised and disappointed that Mongal went out just like that too. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of her. Yeah, I was like, Mongal? Well, I know Mongol. I want to know about Mongal. 
Okay, last shout out, I guess. Um, the John Cena scene right at the very end of the credits. Oh, God, I forgot. Yes, the post-credit scene. There is a post-credit scene. We didn't tell people who hadn't seen the movie yet about this. That is, of course, supposed to set up the Peacemaker series that James Gunn oh. conceived of during the pandemic because apparently he's a workaholic and he couldn't stand not doing anything so he came that up with that is gonna be a fucking fascinating show if he holds true to what he started creating fingers crossed okay fingers crossed all right so those are our thoughts on the suicide squad there's so much that you can talk about and appreciate about this movie so i apologize if we went over time a little what do you think of the suicide squad email us at the gibson review at gmail.com and now it's time for Film Faves. Film Faves is this fun segment we do in every episode where we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic inspired by a segment that used to be featured on the blog. And now it's here. There are no honorable mentions, just 12. But we will let you know what 12 we're never allowed to mention again if it comes up, which it will <laughs> over here. <laughs> Yes, circling back to that in a second, one of the purposes of this is to give us a give you a taste, an idea of our taste in movies, but also hopefully expose you to titles and movies you've never seen before or maybe you've only heard of. Uh, to that end, we focus on specific streaming subscriptions. That those are Apple Plus, Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, and Disney Plus. Now, in this episode, we're focusing on sequels. So it maybe if you listen to the past episodes of the Movie Lovers, you'll have an idea of what kind of sequels may come up. Will they be dramas? Will they be sci-fi? Will they be comic book? Will they be, I don't know, horror sequels? We'll find out soon. But sequels is the focus. Now, Shano, what is the one thing we wanted to do with this list in particular well we talked about this and we realized it would be better if we did not do something like mcu because it's also interconnected and it could become quite the slippery slope if we're mentioned it'll become an mcu list really because there's so many sequels technically and something, I don't know about you, but something I tried to do is, okay, here's a franchise, because these are franchises now, mm. if there's a sequel. And I was like, okay, franchise A, I'm just going to pick one thing. I'm not going to make it the one and the two. I mean, the two and the four. Mm -hmm. You just get one. And I tried to avoid that with the favorites as well from a previous list, which you were going to circle back to and explain. Yeah, uh, th that's a really good point. I find it cool that you did that because I also wanted to really only include one movie from a particular series, right? Because, it, you know, when you take into consideration all the sequels that's ever been made, 12 is not that many to try to fill up. It, it's, a, it's a very, like, this, the room is very, what's, what am I trying to say? It fills up fast. Yeah, if you were to include all the sequels that you like from a particular franchise. I mean, just the mission. You're a big Mission Impossible fan, so I would imagine 
that you would have at least three or four if you allowed yourself to do that. Uh, for me, I'm a big X-Men fan, so I would probably have three to four at least, you know? Right. And so trying to either limit it to one or not even touch it was a goal for me. Right. Now, the other thing you referenced, of course, is we did last year our 12 favorite movies of all time. And since then, we try to not mention those movies again because obviously they're going to be favorites and maybe even top every list right so in this case we had to make sure that any sequels we listed in our 12 favorite movies of all time were not mentioned what were those movies for you shanna for me i can no longer talk about terminator 2 mad max fury road X-Men Days of Future Past and Star Wars The Last Jedi can not be used in this list. Or any other list Or in yeah, the yeah, I know. <laughs> right. For me, it's The Dark Knight, Aliens, Indiana Jones what? and the Last Crusade, Star Wars Return of the Jedi, and this is officially our Terminator 2 Judgment Day Memorial list. Because that is the one movie we both have in common that we can't include. That's really sad. That's such a good movie. Anyway, so because they've been mentioned before, you know they're going to be good. So go check out those ones. Right. All right. So anything else you want to say about the creation of your list of favorite sequels before you dive in? No, I don't think so. Okay. I will just say that... I did a list of 100 favorite movies of all time. You can find it on the blog, thegibsonreview.com. I did have to adhere to that, whatever sequels were on that list outside the initial 12. So you will hear some of that. But there were some I left off for the purposes of only mentioning one movie in a particular series or franchise and making room for others. I will speak to that later. Shanna, why don't you start us off with your 12th favorite sequel. My number 12 is A Quiet Place Part 2 from 2021. This was that much-anticipated film that we were about to watch last, you know, 2020, um, and then we didn't get to, and so the... We finally got to watch it a few months ago. We did a great review on it, but this is obviously following up from A Quiet Place from a few years back. 2018. And, you know, is directed by John Krasinski and stars Emily Blunt, Millicent Simmons, and a bunch of other people. And I guess I forgot to mention or ask, like, how are we going to maneuver around spoilers from, like, previous films? Well, we always avoid spoilers no matter what. So basically, we're following a family going through, I guess you could say, apocalyptic film where an alien alien race has landed on the planet and is taking over. Basically, you cannot make a sound because if you do, these aliens will come for you and destroy everything in their path. So it's kind of like me when I'm overstimulated and can't take noise anymore. <laughs> I am this this monster. That is an excellent pick. I didn't even think of A Quiet Place Part 2 in consideration. You were the one that was like, oh, you're going to miss something. Well, I don't know that it would have made my list, but it didn't occur to me. Those who are interested can listen to episode 108 for our thoughts on that film. Good choice. 
And I think it's available. Did you say? It's not available to stream. Okay, it's about to be soon. So people should be able to find that soon somewhere. My 12th favorite is Gremlins 2 The New Batch from <gasps> 1990, available on HBO Max. You know, a lot of cases, I actually enjoy the sequel more than the original beloved film. And this is definitely one of those. I talked about that when we talked about our favorite movies of 1990. I believe this movie made my list then. I love the mix. You know, Joe Dante, who directed this film, he was not interested in making a Gremlin sequel. So when he did make a sequel, he said, hey, I'm going to basically be very like tongue-in-cheek about it and uh, i'm going to make an anti-sequel in some ways and he does and he has a lot of things that he just skewers with this film i think it's a much more fun film than the original it's more creative in a lot of ways you see a lot of different variations on what a gremlin can be there's different versions of gremlins through ridiculous means and one becomes super smart and he's one of the highlights of the movie the brain love the brain and uh, yeah i just really really enjoy the uh, wackiness of gremlins to the new batch it is my 12th favorite kicking us off with my list of favorite sequels shannon what's your number 11 is it space jam a new legacy <laughs> you're so funny my number 11 is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. A growing nation of genetically evolved apes led by Caesar is threatened by a band of human survivors of the devastating virus unleashed a decade earlier. This is great. Maybe this is what we have to look forward to uh, nine years from now. Yay. So <laughs> this is from uh, 2014, a great film. We've got Andy Serkis doing wonderful work here as Caesar. I just, I really wish Andy Serkis would get more acknowledgement for his fantastic ability to move his body and perform as different uh, creatures and animals. Uh, you've also got people like Kerry Russell and Jason Clark in this film. I love this film. I It's one of my favorite sequels out there. Uh, this is another case for me where I saw number two before seeing number one. I was totally fine with it because when I saw number one, I was like, oh, yeah, that is totally a prequel. And, you know, that's great. Okay. When you say number one, were you saying you saw Dawn first, then Rise? Or were you saying that you saw these before you saw the original Planet of the Apes? Um, I did see these before the original, but I was referring specifically to Rise, the Planet of Apes. So you got to watch Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Then Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and then War of the Planet of the Apes. All right. So it goes Rise, Dawn, War. Right. Okay, so my 11th favorite sequel is from 1999. It's Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, available on Netflix and HBO Max. This is one of the funniest movies I have ever seen still today. I, I when I showed I don't know if it was this one or the original but I remember when I showed my son this he just rolled his eyes at me he thought it was just chock full of dad jokes but I think it's brilliant I think the whole like if you're familiar with the Bond franchise if you're a James Bond fan 
this movie skewers the James Bond franchise so well. Blowfield, everyone. Dr. Evil is the most lovable villain of all time. I, I just <laughs> adore him. Uh, you know, and Mini-Me is introduced in this film. The only thing I'm not a big fan of in this movie is Fat Bastard. That's when it gets really low brow and kind of gross. Not a fan of that. That was my issue with also Goldmember and its new, uh, new character. Goldmember actually is really gross, too. But this movie is hilarious. Heather Graham is fantastic in it. I, I love her in that. They do Elizabeth Hurley dirty. I'm not a big fan of that. But I do adore this movie. The tent scene, the silhouettes with the tent scene is one of the funniest scenes in my life I have ever seen. I adore the Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. And you can find it on Netflix and HBO Max. I will briefly, very quickly say that... In the high school I went to, we camped every year at least once, if not three times. And uh, when I was the high school senior leader, uh, one of the leaders of the eighth graders, there was a tent. They had somehow set up their flashlight and we could see everything they were doing. And I was like, all these kids were getting, all these boys were getting excited because they were like, we're going to have an Austin Powers moment here. <laughs> and I had to go quickly and shut that down. And every camp, somebody would do a uh, an act from Austin Powers. Awesome. So I'm so done with that franchise. I can never go back to it. My number 10 is Creed 2 from 2018. I love this film. Under the tutelage of Rocky Balboa, newly crowned heavyweight champion Adonis Creed faces off against Victor Drago, the son of Ivan Drago. And that is starring, of course, uh, you can't have a Rocky film except Rocky Horror Picture Show without Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> uh, it also stars Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, and just the three of those makes me super happy. Obviously, we have Dolph Lundgren uh, again as Ivan, and it's just such a great cast. There's a couple other members in there that I won't say anything about, but such a great film. We reviewed this f- several episodes ago, several years ago, and I... I love the characters. I love how the characters get fleshed out. There's things about fatherhood and father figures in this film, uh, very specifically in in Creed 2, and I just, I I loved it. Excellent. My 10th favorite sequel is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation from 1989, available on HBO Max. This is... I think I named it possibly my favorite Christmas movie of all time. I, I alternate between that and a Christmas story. It's one of it's it's a hilarious movie. I absolutely adore this movie. I see it every year, if not every other year. I think it's the best. I know for some of you people this is sacrilegious, but I think it's the best National Lampoon's <laughs> movie. Uh, ever the whole Griswold family series I think this is the best one I think it's the funniest one I think it's the one that holds up the most the best that that series doesn't hold up very well and I think this has the most scenes that do hold up and it's it's relatable it's hilarious the idea of the family the extended family coming to stay for the holidays and how much space there is and the kids having to share beds and all this sort of stuff. It's, it's hilarious that you get the judgmental in-laws and all this, all this stuff. It's such a funny, funny movie. 
I love it's very episodic I know but I love it I love the animated opening title sequence uh, <laughs> and I love the, the theme song to it I, there's I love National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation so much I look at anyone side eye who hates this movie I just don't <laughs> get it I just something wrong with them I don't know but I, I love this film it is my 10th favorite sequel you can find it on HBO Max my number nine is one that I couldn't resist and felt kind of fell into a different category here, even though it is X-Men, is Logan from 2017. Uh, in a future where mutants are nearly extinct, an elderly and wary Logan leads a quiet life. But when Laura, a mutant child pursued by scientists, comes to him for help, he must get her to safety. This is just such a great observation of what can happen when your superheroes or your heroes get old and Mm. they're running out of steam. Wolverine, Logan, is a long drawn out hero Mm. in all the possible mediums. Mm. He's as drawn out as Batman. And it was time for Hugh Jackman to be done. And it was so great that in this film they had Patrick Stewart back as Charles. Daphne Keene was the the mutant child. And then, you know, we had Caliban again. Mm-hmm. And Caliban liked this movie, I think. So <laughs> Caliban's depiction in this film was is probably my favorite version of him. Mm. Played by Stephen Merchant, which I thought like is so brilliant. The casting is so good. But this movie is not for kids. And, you know, our son, Logan, he's just dying to see this film. But he has to wait until he's like 17. Because here's the thing. A difference between the Suicide Squad and this film is the Suicide Squad is fun, vicious uh, violence that's graphic. But this one, it's graphic and... There's a sincerity to it. Yeah. And so it's just so much more serious. So um, I love this film. Excellent. I love that movie. Did not occur to me for this list, but that is a great pick. My ninth favorite sequel is a movie that you could not include on yours, so I will bring it up here as as one of my favorites, Mad Max Fury Road. It made my 100 favorite movies of all time list, uh, edging out Road Warrior, which uh, prior to Fury Road was my favorite Mad Max movie and, and arguably the greatest Mad Max movie at that point. This film, we have talked many times about this film, which is why you know it's in the penalty box for Shanna because she loves this movie so much. And with good reason. I mean, this is considered one of the greatest films of the past decade. It's one of the greatest films of the century so far. It's one of Charlize Theron's best films. It's 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 amazing what George Miller did with this, not just stylistically and visually, but also the the way he's able to turn Mad Max into a feminist anthem is is very surprising and remarkable so love the movie there's not enough that could be said about that film they so. couldn't have cast that film better yeah i mean there's no way to do it justice in 90 seconds here but if you haven't seen it you gotta hunt it down sometime mad max fury road my ninth favorite sequel it did make an appearance in space jam and that was fun good lord <laughs> that was great oh boy 
All right, what's your eighth favorite? My number eight is Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein from 1948, and that's in it counts as a sequel, sequel because of which film? It's it's part of the Abbott and Costello series of films. I believe it was Buck Privates that was the first Universal Abbott and Costello uh, film, and they have one of the most lucrative franchises ever in history. It, it's such a great film. You know, it's so fascinating that we had things like Dracula and Frankenstein and Frankenstein and the, the Bride of Frankenstein. And then we have Abbott and Costello not too too late after all those films, mm-hmm. kind of, and, and um, Invisible Man and all that stuff. And it's so fascinating that they were able to come and do like the first spoof film in a way, yeah. you know, and I just love it. Abbott and Costello are, I guess you call them porters. They're like transportation. Mm-hmm industry and wolfman tries to warn them that there's there's going to be problems with dracula and frankenstein and it is so fun hearing them call for each other whenever something scary happens and it's just jack jack and right. it's just so much fun yeah absolutely absolutely that is a great film and you mentioned it kind of spoofing the universal monster movies but what's unique about it is it actually stars the stars of the Universal Monster movies. I you, mean, you have Lon Chaney and Pella, Bella yeah. Lugosi. I believe Boris Karloff was the standout. He did not participate, but someone who took over the role of Frankenstein's monster in the series of movies did participate as uh, did star as Frankenstein. But still, unique. Such a great film. That's how all the spoofs should be made. We should just have all the real people make an appearance. <laughs> That's a great pick. I love it. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan from 1982, is my eighth favorite sequel. And that was a tough one. I Again, part of my 100 favorite movies of all time. But I, you know, I love Star Trek First Contact. I love Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. This one is probably the more literary, so to speak, of of the original series of Star Trek movies. Um, it takes its time. It it references and takes elements of of Shakespeare's story, Shakespeare's plays. Uh, there's a little bit of of playing with uh, you know Captain Kirk getting older. It takes place on his birthday. It calls back the original series. It has a a, a character from the original series return it is the first good mm. star trek movie mm-hmm. it's, it's remarkable that he even got made considering how dull the first star trek movie can you imagine if that film did not get made right i mean there would be no star trek right right at least in, in movie form until the other series came about and they had their movies it, yes things would look very different but i love this film, one of the greatest villains in movie history, one of the greatest sci-fi sequels in movie history. It's a great film. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, still holds up today from 1982. My number seven is really fun because it is the th- it's based on the third book of the seven books that are out there, I believe. I think I got the number in right. And it's the third film of the nine films <laughs> that are out there or is it eight i think it's eight is it eight okay and pretty soon here it looks like it's available to stream on peacock but pretty soon here it's going to be 
uh, Halloween season, and this will probably come on one of the Comcast channels. I think, who does the Halloween movies? Is it, it must be NBC, right? I don't know, I guess. It is a Warner Brothers property, if I know what you're talking about. It is. It is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. You know, this is the this is where Ron, Hermione, Harry, they're going back to uh, school, and it's really dangerous for Harry to go back. There's something sinister happening. We get exposed to the prison in the magic world, and someone is after Harry, but is it for a good reason, or is it for sinister reasons mm. and will we see Voldemort will we not like, there's mm. a lot of fun stuff happening in this film and I felt like it was the most empowering because we see Hermione stand up to Draco and it's very oh, yeah. very fantastic moment and time plays a factor in this film which is my favorite element of a film mm-hmm. you do love time travel I think that's like my third or fourth favorite Harry Potter movie so that's an excellent pick my seventh favorite sequel is mission impossible fallout from 2018 here's the thing like i do love the mission impossible series except for number two i kind of ignore that one it's pretty much acceptable to forget it it has some cool moments but it's over otherwise not great but uh, I, I feel like the rest of the films are almost on the same level qualitatively. They're just all very different, except Fallout, which I I do believe comes above all others. And so it has become my favorite. If I were to pick one, it has become my favorite. The stunts in this movie are just incredible. The punches, you kind of feel a little bit more. It, it, it does kind of play on ethan hunt being middle-aged now and he doesn't get up as easily you know tom cruise doesn't get going, up as easily. going up against superman punching air right yeah. henry cavill stars in this uh, film too yeah it's 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 such a remarkable movie and it does tie things together as far back as mission impossible 3 and uh, so I absolutely love it. It's a thrilling film. It, do, it does not fail to, uh, to entertain in any way. It is very well scripted. Such a great film. Mission Impossible Fallout is my seventh favorite sequel. All right. My next one at number six from 2017 is Blade Runner 2049, available to stream on HBO Max. Thank God it's somewhere. This is such a great sequel. It's a great film, but it's such a great sequel too. And has Denny Villeneuve directing it and Johan Johansson doing the score. I think at the end, Hans Zimmer had to come in and wrap it up. But let me read the description. Young Blade Runner Kay's discovery of a long buried secret leads him to track down former Blade Runner, Rick Deckard who's been missing for 30 years. This film is so freaking gorgeous and they could not have gotten a better team, creative team together and uh, cast. Harrison Ford obviously comes back. We've got Ryan Gosling as Kay. We have Robin Wright, who I was not expecting. And she was such a surprisingly pleasing character. Edward James almost like, who doesn't want to see him? So... I really love this film. I love the cinematography. I love the, the score, the color symbolism the most in this film. 
It's a great film. Considered it absolutely 100%. Great film. Love it. My sixth favorite is uh, from the James Bond series. Very hard sometimes to boil down absolute favorite. I do love Goldfinger. I, I do love Skyfall. But my list of 100 favorite movies of all time lands on Goldeneye from 1995. That was my first James Bond film. That's a great one. Great starting point because that was the very first Pierce Brosnan James Bond film. And boy, oh boy, I talked a lot about this when we did 1995 favorite movies. It's absolutely one of my favorite movies of that year. But this thing kind of re-energized the franchise. Unfortunately, it ran out of gas real fast with Pierce Brosnan and went way over the top and ridiculous. So the Daniel Craig reboot uh, in 2006 was absolutely necessary. And boy, did that do good things for the most part. But this film has everything. It has a great opening title sequence. It has a great theme song by, uh, I believe it's Tina Turner and The Edge. Yeah. And it has a, a, a fantastic villain, has fantastic uh, uh, henchmen, has fantastic memorable characters, great set pieces, great action. Love this film. It's one. It, it, it's absolutely my favorite James Bond movie. Still to this day, despite other great films like Skyfall that has come since. Probably the best song for the James Bond film. So I think good. it's the best one. So good. Love it so much. That's Goldeneye. My sixth favorite sequel. Shanna, we've passed the halfway mark. What is your fifth favorite sequel? Oh, my fifth favorite is The Suicide Squad. Yeah, wow. I'm throwing... Really? I loved it so much. And when I was watching it a second time, I was like, oh my God, this is so good. So it is number five. We've spoken about it at length, but really it's because of its enjoyable, satisfying, better than the first one experience. Right on. Very cool. And uh, people go to the theater to see that the first time and it's available on HBO (laughs) Max. Afterwards, you can enjoy it on HBO Max. All right. My fifth favorite sequel is... Die Hard with a Vengeance from 1995. Also, my favorite Die Hard movie. I love the original. Don't get me wrong. The original is a great movie. One of the greatest action movies of all time. But boy, Die Hard with a Vengeance is so much fun. Jeremy Irons uh, has got to be talked about here because not only is he the second best villain in the entire series. And honestly, they could have just stopped with number three. And, and probably should have just stopped with number three and stopped w- trying to uh, weigh this thing to the ground. Uh, Jeremy Irons is fantastic. One of his best performances. Uh, he, he, you know, this and Scar are probably my two favorite mm. Jeremy Iron characters. He's such a great villain. He's so droll. He's so sarcastic. He's he, he he's great in this film, but of course, you know one of your favorite things to talk about is, is Sam Jackson, the bound, the the way Sam Jackson and, and Bruce Willis play off each other. I mean, what a combo! Yeah. You know, we should have a list where we're like our favorite combos of actors and actresses together. Like duos, yeah, yeah, because that is one of them for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. This, of course, Sam Jackson coming right off of Pulp Fiction the year before <laughs> with this movie. You know, it really helped uh, escalate his his profile. Love this film. Die Hard with a Vengeance, one of the funnest sequels I have ever seen. It's my fifth favorite sequel. My number four is Toy Story 3 from 2010, available to stream on Disney+. Plus. This is one of those films where you're like, there's a trilogy and this ends it really nicely. This wraps everything up pretty much as best as it could be wrapped up. And it's near perfect, mm-hmm. near perfect a film. The toys in this adventure, uh, Andy is now going to college. His room needs to get packed up. Mom needs a workout studio. I don't know what mom needs. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going to happen with that space. But really responsible thing to do there, mom, is to have the kid pack up their shit before they leave and maybe never come back. So Andy is going through his toys. He sorts them out. And instead of the toys going up into the attic where he wanted them to go, they end up at a daycare center where you think everything's going to be lots of love and hugs because children, children keep coming and toys stay. It's a brilliant Brilliant concept, brilliant idea, such great execution. You know, so number three is where it ends for me. I I like number four, but number three, I mean, that's where you get to say goodbye, really. Yeah, number four. I I don't think, I think they made the right decision and never made another movie after Toy Story 3. Now, what I do like about Toy Story 3 is there's several shorts that stem off of it. There's Partysaurus Rex, there's... The vacation to Hawaii one. There's the 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 terror night or night of terror, which is like one of those forty five minute ones. Mm. And it's just so great to have all these little little videos after, mm-hmm. and that's perfect. Yep, for it's, me, it's so great that they just left it there. It's so great. I love it. All right, so my fourth favorite sequel is Lethal Weapon three from nineteen ninety two on HBO Max. Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, both of those are right next to each other for a reason because that's where I think of them. Uh, just that's how I hold them in my heart. <laughs> and and the number three of both I love equally. I think that's so fun. Again, more fun than the original film. I'm sorry. I know the, I know Lethal Weapon is a great film, but I love and have fun with Lethal Weapon 3. It also deals a little bit with gang violence and, and cop killer stuff and all this sort of other uh, stuff. You also have uh, a great uh, score by Eric Clapton. I think, was it Steen? Steen's the theme song. Uh, Joe Pesci, he comes back from the second movie. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right. He's so much fun <laughs> in so it. His, the way he bounces off the, the other characters, Merton, Riggs, Mel Gibson, and... And Danny Glover, Rene Russo's introduced. Adore Rene Russo. Had a huge crush on her. This is a, just I, I I love this movie. I love it so much. One of the more memorable villains in the series is in this film. So that's Lethal Weapon Three, which I highly recommend checking out on HBO Max. It's my fourth favorite sequel. Shanna, we are in the top three. What is your third favorite sequel? Mine was one that you could not touch. It is The Dark Knight from 2008. Mm-hmm. I love this film a lot. It has been way too long since I've seen it. I really must rectify that. You know, you're busy after this. Maybe Logan and I are going to have a night and we're going to watch that. 
<laughs> I really need to watch that film again. You know, this is that famous Heath Ledger performance of, course. of Joker. Yeah. So for me, how the Joker's rank is it's Mark Hamill, Heath Ledger, you know, because mm. for me, most of the world, most of the population can enjoy the Mark Hamill version. And then Heath Ledger is ready for the more mature crowd, you mm -hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Brilliant performance. You know, this is not only the introduction of Joker, but also Harvey Dent comes in and we see what becomes of him. And mm -hmm. I just love it so much. I can't say enough good things about it. The, the, the score. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. The cinematography, the choreography, the character development of all of them mm -hmm. is just brilliant. Cannot say enough can't remember enough to talk about something very specific. I think my favorite scene for my brother and I that we played over and over again because we were like, how is this happening? Oh, it's just pure hatred and murder uh, is the pencil scene. Mm -hmm. Just fascinating character. Trick. Yeah, the magic trick. Fascinating character. This is my favorite Joker. This movie also stars the guy who played Polka Dot Man. Is Where in, is he in it? Oh, you'll have to look out for him. No! If, Yep. <laughs> See, I'm looking him up now. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so my third favorite sequel is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Mm, I should have known. 2010 and 2011, I counted as one film split into two. It is one of the most satisfying conclusions ever in a narrative series of films. It might be the most satisfying conclusion of any series of films actually i'd have to think about that because rise of the skywalker is not it and matrix revolutions is not it and you know i could think of others that are not it maybe toy story 3 is it because it ended after that anyway i absolutely love this film i think it's it's it's, it's a remarkable achievement it's a remarkable achievement in fantasy filmmaking it's a remarkable achievement in franchise filmmaking it's a just a remarkably well executed sequel and end to a series yeah i definitely didn't need anything after this so i love harry potter and the deathly hollows my number three sequel probably the best final of franchises right exactly yeah. what i'm saying yeah absolutely my number two is Die Hard 3 with a Vengeance. God, I love this film so much. <laughs> I, I will watch this film on the tiny ass Echo device behind us while I'm getting food cooked. And, you know, there's, there's no way that it's available for streaming right now, but it does go on and off of streaming platforms yeah I'm a little it does surprised. seem to do the rounds yeah i'm a little surprised it's not on hbo max um it might not be for a while because it seems to have done the rounds it was mm. on hbo and then it was on prime mm. and and now it's nowhere right now but you said a lot about this i just thought that the the realism of distraction and racial tension is phenomenal in this film so great and the duo that is Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson, that would probably be my number one or top three pick for duos. All right. Now we don't even have to do that list. Now we know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. I'm glad we have that movie in common. My second favorite sequel is one that was on your list that you cannot mention. And it's interesting because... It's great that we're doing that for each other. <laughs> it's, it's one of... 
I feel like a couple movies that were on my hundred favorites of all time that like maybe had outranked another entry in the same franchise. And of course I'm trying to pair out other entries of, of, of the same franchise. So I had to go with X-Men Days of Future Past from 2014 mm. available surprisingly on Disney plus. Uh, yes. Cause of the whole Fox thing. Yeah. I was surprised because I love X-Men 2 so much. That movie really upped things and took things to a whole nother level and was so satisfying as a comic book fan. But so was Days of Future Past. I think, you know, that is arguably the best of the whole Fox-Men franchise. Is a sequel to X-Men First Class which itself is a prequel, sort of, to the um, original X-Men movies. And I, I just, there's so many elements of this movie. We've talked about it several times before. Favorite 2014 movies, one of our favorite comic book movies of the past decade. There's so many things. So I won't rehash all of that, but I do absolutely adore the thrill, the thrills of this film, the fact that there's actual stakes to it. You see characters that you love die. It's a great film. X-Men Days of Future Past from 2014, available on Disney+. Plus. My number one is Lethal Weapon 3, of course. That is your favorite sequel it, of all time. It, it is. I, I really do think it is. I could watch this sequel over, 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 and over again. This is also one of those situations <laughs> where I see number three first. But you don't want to see the first one of this franchise first, especially if you're younger. Because the first one is just so harsh and real and deals with a lot of serious issues. Uh, brilliant film. But number three and number two are definitely ones that you could show your teen, your teenager. Mm. I love the romance, the action, the music is so saxophony. <laughs> yes, like it is. So yes. much saxophone. This is this is like small amount thing where like okay, this is. This is the franchise where you get to have the saxophone and no other franchises. So uh, that's how I feel about that. Um, it I, is ridiculous in the, that movie. It's yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It's like it's spoofing saxophone movies. Um, anyway, I, I love everything that happens in this film. There is nothing that I think that irritates me or that I feel like is unnecessary in this film. They're dealing with a lot of issues. Not only are they dealing with police brutality on black people, they're also dealing with cops being killed as well. And somehow they're finding this sort of balance between the two, uh, which I just love. Excellent. So next to X-Men, it goes basically Lethal Weapon 3, then X-Men Days of Future Past, and then Star Wars The Last Jedi, Mad Max Fury Road. And then Terminator 2 Judgment Day for you in terms of your favorite sequel. So next to those other films... Lethal Weapon 3 is your favorite sequel. That's probably it. Yeah, that's why it feels a little empty. <laughs> I need my Terminator. <laughs> right, gotcha. Okay. Well, for me, if it weren't for The Dark Knight, Aliens, and Terminator 2, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and Star Wars Return of the Jedi, which I did name as my favorite movie of all time, my favorite sequel would be... Star Wars The Force Awakens from 2015. Available on Disney+. Plus. Another example of having to choose one from the franchise because 
The Last Jedi is on my 100 all-time favorite movies list too, but Force Awakens was ranked higher, so I went with that one uh, as the number one on this list. And a lot of that is because of the experience of seeing that for the first time on the big screen. You know, it was just an <laughs> overwhelming experience having a Star Wars movie come out for the first time in 20 years or whatever, 15, whatever, 10 years, I guess, technically. It was only 10 years. I make it sound a lot more. It, it, just to have that logo and the, the fanfare and everything blare at that time, it was just such a joyous, overwhelming experience. The things that happened in the film, how it was checking all these boxes of everything that a Star Wars fan wants to see. And it's you see more of it. You see more Millennium Falcon. You see more lightsaber duels. You see more of your favorite characters uh, and, and really push things forward. I just love The Force Awakens so much. <laughs> And I will always hold the experience of seeing that film in the theater close to my heart. It is available. You can re relive it on Disney Plus if you so desire. Well, there's a list experiences in the cinema. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it holds a lot of importance if you're watching it with your spouse and you were Star Wars fans. And that's what made your, your future husband say, oh, I want to marry you. <laughs> when you say you don't like the prequels so you know <laughs> all right so those are our favorite sequels what are your favorite sequels feel free to email us at the gibson review at gmail.com and that'll do it for this episode of the movie lovers shannon before we talk about next episode or episodes of what people can expect from the movie lovers could you please share with people where they could find you online you can find me at Shanna Paxton Photography underscores between those words on Instagram. And you can find me on Flickchart under Spellbinding A. All right. Go to GibsonReview.com for all content having to do with the Gibson Review, including past reviews, past features, the past series of features like the Disney Through the Years, which hopefully will return soon, as well as every episode of The Movie Lovers should be on that website. Go follow us on social media. The Gibson Review on Facebook. The Gibson 99 on Instagram. We do polls there on Instagram. And we actually did recently your favorite A24 movie, which just ended at time of recording. You chose Ex Machina as your favorite movie from the studio A24. Very interesting choice. Soon you can find a new bracket poll having to do with sequels on there. Keep an eye out for that. Again, the Gibson 99 on Instagram. Same handle on Flickchart. All right, so here's what people can expect in the near future from the movie lovers. We have a bonus episode. It is this time of the season for us to be looking ahead at the fall season of movie releases so we will have a bonus episode out soon looking at our fall movie preview what movies we're looking forward to most in september october november then our next official episode will be our main event of free guy starring ryan reynolds and our favorite comedies now 
These are movies that are comedies first and anything else second. So we'll talk a little bit more about how exactly that works. And it'll be an interesting challenge trying to boil down to 12 favorite comedies. But that's what we're going to attempt to do. Look for it on Tuesday, August 31st. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff O'Shanna saying... Bye-bye.